All right, Luke chapter 5, 1 to 11. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11 today, and the title I have for today is From Knowledge to Surrender. From Knowledge to Surrender. We'll see in this passage Jesus calling the first disciples, and yet there's just one disciple that's really in focus. This whole passage, or this short passage that we're looking at, at today, is part of a larger unit that really kind of started back in Jesus' message to uh, the synagogue in Nazareth, where he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, uh, freedom for the oppressed, and to declare the year of the Lord's favor. And it's going to run all the way until chapter 5 and about 31 to 32, where Jesus declares, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And every story between these bookends speaks to that, speaks to Jesus' mission. Last week we saw Jesus casting out demons, healing Peter's mother-in-law, and and then spending a whole evening doing both of those things out of of Peter's house. Now we're going to see a man who knows he's sinful surrendering himself to Christ, finally. And then we're going to see Jesus doing more healings and miracles and and proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor, both in word and deed. So let's stand together as we read these 11 verses together. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. He saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled the boat so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. A step of obedience, a step of repentance, and a step of surrender. It's kind of the progression that Peter goes through in this passage. Again, we have Jesus teaching. People are wanting to hear the word of the Lord. And in Luke and Acts, uh, this, this phrase is used over 20 times. In Matthew, it's used once, and in Mark, it's only used once. But Luke uses it over 20 times in Luke and Acts. In, in the gospel, it's only Jesus who declares the word of the Lord. Nobody else does. And in Acts, it is the church that declares the word of the Lord. Nobody else does. 
and it is always a verbal proclamation about the kingdom of God and his rule and his reign. They came to hear the word of the Lord. And they were pressing in on him. And so Jesus gets into this boat. The fishermen had had a, a, a night of work. They had pulled all the nets out of the boats, were on the shore somewhere cleaning and mending the nets. And Jesus gets into this boat, pushes out a little, and Luke does that annoying thing again. And Jesus taught the crowds, and then he was finished. What did he teach them? <laughs> I, I, want, I want to know, like, what was the sermon again, right? What was Jesus saying? Like, quote, like, you know, like in Matthew. Matthew would have done this for us. Jesus goes up onto a mountain, he sits down and begins to teach them, saying, and then he gives us the Sermon on the Mount. Luke consistently does this. It's so annoying, isn't it? Luke's like, and Jesus was teaching, and then he went and did this. It's like, what? Wait. You know, he explained to them from all the law and the prophets that the Son of God must die and rise again. Move along. I love Luke, but this, this bit about him annoys me just a little bit. Look at that. Taught the people from the boat, and when he had finished, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, the best time to fish on the lake, this is like, most Gospels call it the Sea of Galilee. It's the Lake Gennesaret. This is just kind of Luke being very specific. He calls it a lake, not a sea. You know, he's probably a little, you know, he's a little more technical than some of the other Gospel writers, not as colloquial. Um, but the best time to fish is during the night. I don't know why that is, but that's just what, you know, historians tell us. And these nets, these would be big nets with multiple kind of like a, a, a drag net that encases, and then there's a, a thinner net, a mesh net uh, that goes inside that, and they kind of chase the fish into this, this thing. And they've been doing this all night, throwing these nets out, hauling them in, throwing these nets out. Hard, hard work, difficult work. Through the night, it's morning. They pull their boats onto the shore. They drag all these nets out so they can fix them. Jesus is like, okay, yeah, you can use a boat. Just, you know, shove off a little. I'm sure they were just sitting on the beach, continuing to fix and, and clean the nets and make sure all the, you know, gunk was off them, fold them up all nicely so they're ready to go for the next night. Put out into the deep. Let your nets down for a catch. Really? I'm, imagine you just finished a full day of work Where's our mechanics? You've cleaned up all your tools. The shop floor is swept, cleaned, and washed. And you're just about to go home. And somebody pulls in with just an just absolute, like, five cars need fixing now, but you're, you were, like, done for the day. When you just, like, come back tomorrow. <laughs> we're open at 8. <laughs> right? It's like the last thing in the day. This is the last thing these guys probably want to do right now. They worked all night. They just finished cleaning everything up, packed everything up, and Jesus is just going to undo it all right now. And he's a carpenter, knows nothing about fishing. This is the wrong time to fish. We, there's nothing in this lake right now. We're not going to catch anything. We know what we're talking about, not you. And Simon identifies us, Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing. 
uses this word master, which is fairly rare, and Luke uses it only for followers of Jesus in his gospel. But he's going to make a change here because he says, but at your word, or because you say so, I will let down the nets. The first thing Simon does is takes a small step of obedience when it doesn't make sense. A small but significant step of obedience when it doesn't make sense. See, beginning is always important. You don't always have to have things figured out or it doesn't always have to make sense, but making a beginning is important. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. How do you amaze a fisherman? Big fish story, right? Apparently healing the mother-in-law didn't quite do it for Peter. You you, you know, think back. Why was Jesus in Peter's house? He he went there after the synagogue service where a man who was demon-possessed was delivered, and then he goes to Simon Peter's house after for probably lunch, the rest of the Sabbath, like, Peter was probably at the synagogue, in the service, saw the event. Did he like, hey, why don't you come to my place for lunch? Like, like we don't get a lot of those little details as to how these relationships formed, right? But, but Peter just spent the whole day with Jesus. And he saw him heal, cast out demons, and all this other stuff. But he hasn't made the switch yet. How do you impress a fisherman? (laughs) You need a big fish story. So Jesus does this. Simon Peter saw it and he fell down at Jesus' knees. Jesus is still in the boat, still sitting there, probably smiling. (laughs) That's so much fun. You know, there's a sense of humor, I think, in Jesus that we often don't like to entertain, but I think he was a funny guy. It's like, let down your nets for a catch. (laughs) You're never going to believe this. No one's going to believe you. (laughs) But there he is. And this revelation, it finally sinks in. Probably all the things click together. What have I just seen the last 24 hours? Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And this is the first step of discipleship. I'm not worthy to even be in your presence. That's the first step of discipleship. It's not knowing about Jesus. He knew a lot about Jesus already. He had seen a lot of stuff about Jesus already. This is the first step of discipleship where he goes from master, I'll do it, to depart from me, Lord. Notice the change in address. Master, very general. Lord, very specific. Curious. Lord, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. What's happening in this, in this little passage here, this exchange where Simon sees his sinfulness in the light of who Jesus is, is very reminiscent of Isaiah chapter 6. 
When Isaiah says, I was in the, in, in, the, in the spirit on the day of the Lord and I saw, I had a vision of the throne room of God and I said, woe to me for I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And an angel comes and touches and says, fear not, this is, this is cleaning your mouth and you're going to be my messenger. The recognition of our sinfulness in the presence of his holiness is the first step of discipleship. It starts here. A step of obedience leading to a fuller revelation of who Jesus is and Peter is brought to a place of repentance. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken and so also were James and John, the son of Zebedee, sons of Zebedee. We'll find out more about them a little later who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. The first phrase is often the first words out of the messenger of God's mouth when God makes himself known. Throughout the Old Testament, when the messenger of God, the angel of God came, spoke to Abraham or, or to Joshua or to any of them, the first words out of their mouth, you know, the angels coming to Mary, Fear not, fear not, fear not. This is, this is Luke saying, Peter is experiencing a God moment here in which he is recognizing that he is in the presence of the holiness of God. It's what's called a theophany, a revelation of God and his glory. This is what Peter has finally come to. He is known of Jesus. He's even had him in his home. He's seen Jesus do amazing things and now he has finally come to the point where he recognizes that he is in the presence of the Lord. And then the next step of obedience <clears throat> is the decisive step of discipleship. Do not be afraid, from now on you will catch men. And I wonder even, it's, it's, Luke's just a brilliant author, so he's very careful with how he says it, the great multitude of fish. A great multitude. And I wonder if in Luke's mind he's already preloading the great multitude of Acts chapter 2. Because it's the same phrase. And the great multitude came to Jesus and, Je and Peter's first sermon. This is... Peter's first step of following Jesus and he catches a great multitude of fish and when he preaches his first sermon, there is a great multitude of people that come to faith. Thousands. Thousands. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Notice the pronoun. It's not just Peter. It's they. It's plural. Peter and his companions, especially James and John, sons of Zebedee, partners of Simon. Andrew's not mentioned in this. Other Gospels identify him as being part of this scene. Peter, James, and John are named. The big three who will be on the Mount of Transfiguration 
who will be in the Garden of Gethsemane closest to Jesus, who will go into the room when Jesus raises the little girl from the dead. These three are going to experience something in the next number of years that they weren't even aware they were going to experience. They didn't have the categories for this kind of calling. They didn't have the roadmap or the complete mission. They didn't know really what they were getting themselves into at this point, but they left everything to follow Jesus. You see, because this step of discipleship is the step of surrender. From obedience to repentance to surrender. From knowledge about Jesus to surrender to Jesus. This is the foundation of discipleship. Those who experience redemption are drawn into the kingdom mission of Jesus. Scott McKnight says in his commentary, every person Jesus redeems is called to participate in the kingdom. Every person Jesus redeems is called to participate in the kingdom. Unless you leave it all and follow me, you cannot be my disciples. Over and over in Luke's gospel, that will be the ultimate cost. That's the, that's the call. Over and over in all the gospels, is not, I'm just going to die on the cross so that you can go to heaven when you die. No, I want everything in your life, and I want it now. Your plans, your pension, your investments, your education, your family, your home, everything. They left everything to follow him. This is discipleship. This is what it means to follow Jesus. Moving from knowledge about Jesus that we could continue to come to church week after week, month after month, and year after year without ever surrendering our lives to him. Because we just want eternal fire insurance, we don't want to follow. Because the following means everything now is on the altar. Move from knowing about Jesus to surrendering yourself to Jesus. We all need to do this. Because following Jesus means living in a dynamic relationship with him that continually leads us through these steps. A step of obedience. Just take one more step of obedience this week. The Great Commission Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. It's life now. It's how we live now. In obedience to what Jesus calls us to. Following Jesus means living in a dynamic relationship that continually leads us to take another step of obedience and it also leads us to continually recognize and confess our sinfulness. 1 John chapter 2. If we say we have no sin, we make him out to be a liar. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. 
Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk the same way in which he walked, to live as Jesus lived, to recognize our sinfulness, recognize how we're failing, because we're all failing in some way or another, and reorienting our lives to the person of Jesus Christ and how he lived, what was important to him, what were his priorities. What did he invest in? And live in light of Christ and his eternal kingdom. That has to define how we live. That's discipleship. Following Jesus means living in a dynamic relationship that continually leads us to take more steps of obedience, to recognize and confess our sinfulness, and ultimately to surrender ourselves to his purposes, surrendering ourselves to his purposes. Philippians chapter 3. Paul says this, Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Of knowing the person. Of having a relationship with Jesus in which he speaks and leads and guides us in our daily living. Knowing Jesus, my Lord, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Here it is. The worst case scenario for a follower of Jesus Christ is resurrection from the dead and life in the eternal kingdom. That's your worst case scenario. That's as bad as it's going to get. And so these light momentary sufferings Paul talks about in Romans are nothing compared to the glory that's going to be revealed when Jesus comes again. Are you captured with the thought of the vision of Jesus' rule and reign? The eternal change, the new heavens and the new earth. Sometimes we're so focused on the here and now, we can't see that Jesus is Lord. Sometimes we're so focused on the here and now that it's our lives and our comfort and our security and our, our privilege that we protect. And we don't like this bit about suffering for him. We may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by, some, by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or already been made perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus made me his own. 
Jesus takes the initiative. He comes to Peter and he says, hey, let's go fishing. Wrong time of day. Sorry, we're going to do it anyway. Peter recognizes who he's with. And he says, get away from me. I, 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 you, you don't know who I am. You don't know how sinful I am. You don't know how broken I am. And Jesus says, don't care. From now on, you're going to catch men. Don't be afraid. Your sinfulness is not a barrier to my kingdom working. Because I'm going to pay for it all. And yes, you're going to screw up. And you're going to screw up again. And all through the Gospels, we see Peter sticking his foot in his mouth, doing the wrong thing, denying Christ three times. And Jesus is still pursuing him. This came up in our closing session of Freedom Session where the contrast is made between Judas and Peter. Judas betrayed Christ, but he ran away from Christ and tried to navigate dealing with that guilt on his own and it destroyed his life. You cannot, you cannot pay for your own mistakes and failures. Only Jesus can. And Peter denied Jesus three times that he even knew him. And when the women came back from the tomb, they said, we don't know what happened. They said he's risen from the dead. What does Peter do? Does he hide in shame? He gets up and he runs to the tomb. I gotta check this out. And then later he's fishing. And in a parallel moment to what we just read today, there's a guy on the shore. He's like, hey, caught anything? No, we've been fishing all night again. Caught nothing. Try the other side of the boat. Right? <laughs> it's like, a, oh, just move over a step and I'll just fish from here off the shore, right? Like, that's going to make a difference. Come on. Okay, other side of the boat, massive haul of fish again, breaking the nets, boat sinking. Peter goes, it's the Lord. And he doesn't hide in shame. He jumps in the water and he swims to him. He has to get to Jesus regardless of how much he's failed him. He pursues. He's, I gotta get to Jesus that's what you got to do with your failures and your sins in your life. Don't hide in shame. Run to Jesus. Run to him. Fall at his feet. Because there is grace. He has paid for every sin you have ever committed, ever will commit, every hurt and wound that you have taken or have given. And he is the one who can restore and heal and call you out from whatever life of dysfunction that you feel that you're living in and set you on a path that will make a difference in his kingdom. Look what he did with Peter. He can do it with anyone. Following Jesus means living in a dynamic relationship that continually leads us to take another step of obedience, recognizing and confessing our sinfulness, and then just simply surrendering ourselves to his purposes. Peter and the others were called to grow in all of these. The bar would continue to be raised as they walked with Jesus. Here they leave, they let go of what they knew, 
for a path they did not know where it would take them. And later they would be called to pick up something after they had let everything go. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you must pick up your cross daily and follow me. For if you do not do this, you cannot be my disciple. Obedience starts the journey. Confession is always necessary as we live with Christ. And full surrender is really the only way to freedom. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the fact that you call people that are broken and wounded, who are wounders, who are dysfunctional, who don't have it all together, who t- it takes a while for us to get it. Peter had his mother-in-law healed. He saw demons cast out. He saw many people healed. And it took a big catch of fish for him to finally put all the pieces together and go, wow, I am standing in the presence of the Lord. Lord, you said that when you went away, you would send the Holy Spirit and he would convict the world of sin and guilt and righteousness. That the Spirit, when we surrender to you, would take up residence in our hearts and would cry out in our souls, Abba, Father, and would, would connect us with you in a way that we could hardly imagine possible, that we are now co-heirs with Christ. Called into his kingdom, into relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, not as, not as groveling servants, but as celebrated sons and daughters, co-heirs with Christ, adopted into the family. And so, Lord Jesus, help us to take the next step of obedience that you're calling us to. Help us to walk in continual repentance for sin, knowing that you have paid it all. Lord, continually turning our hearts back to you, pursuing you when we fail. Lord, help us to surrender. Help us to surrender. When they brought in the boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Amen.